0: The real reason, the real thing is we couldn't figure out a name, and so we called it Lunar Technology Company, because we were like, that's a fun name. And I went to a conference, and I had this badge that said Lunar Technology Company, and this guy says, oh, you one of the people that are mining the moon? There's a group of you over there. You should go meet all the rest of you. And I was like, we need to change the name of this company.
1: I met this individual. I think it was 3 years ago, uh-huh. maybe around then, and for about 7 minutes. Okay. And it felt like I just got introduced to a kaleidoscope. Yeah. And it was a bit of a tornado and then I, for some reason I found out my jacket was on backwards and and then he left. Let's
2: just, be clear, technology is an interesting industry that doesn't always inspire the most exciting people to join it and passionate people. Yeah. Uh, like people who are a little weird and a little off-kilter and yeah. a little punk rock don't yeah. always go into global technology and scalable horizontal technologies.
1: Correct. Yeah. And then every 6 months or so, we'd be talking through some problem or some opportunity or whatever it may be, and Paul would say, I wonder what Harper Reed would think. <laughs> like every few months. It's like we should get his opinion on this. So we have Harper Reed today. And Harper, before we get into it, I just wanted to do a little homework. And you have this timeline. I think it's HarperReed.com. Is yep. that correct? Yeah. yeah. Correct. And it's very entertaining. Uh, you should go through it. it. It goes, it dives deep into sort of, oh, I took a walk and then it swoops upward <laughs> into I'm doing stuff for MIT and it's really entertaining. You know,
2: here's where I'm at with Harper. He ran a big chunk of the Obama campaign on the on the tech side uh uh-huh. and he also started a merchant focused startup that was acquired he's, a, he's really a serious tech player but he also wrapped with his brother he wrapped his parents car in a in like a zebra wrap
0: while they did as a prank oh yeah that's that's not even the good one i think what was the good one <laughs> the good one Was when we we I'd been going to London a lot for work and I noticed all these houses had these like plaques on them that said like boyhood home of some famous person I hadn't heard of or like Jimi Hendrix lived here or whatever. Um, And I always I always thought that was cool. Like it was neat to see the history in a normal neighborhood. And so my parents went on vacation and we put a monument in their front yard. How big was the monument? Well, it's on about an 800-pound rock right in the front yard, and it says, the boyhood home of Harper and Dylan Reed, the first astronauts to explore Uranus.
2: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So both incredibly Uh,
0: complicated, difficult,
2: operationally frustrating, and then unbelievably immature. Unbelievably.
0: And it's so (laughs) funny because, of course, my father comes home from their vacation. They see this rock. They look at it. They chuckle. Then my dad goes to lift it to take it to the backyard, and it's just like, nope, it's going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is it still there? Yeah, it's going to last 60 years based on the speck of the plaque.
2: What is your father? When you when you do something like this to your father and mother, How do they? what is the first thing they say?
0: Well, it depends. When we wrapped the car, they were also on vacation and we wrapped the car. And, okay, and, and
2: tell, tell the people what you actually did
0: here. So my parents went on vacation. They just got a brand new Ford Flex, and they're really proud of this Ford Flex. So they went on vacation maybe two months after they got it. They drove somewhere. And so my brother takes the car. Goes to the sign shop that we pre that we talked to, and they wrap it like they wrap the whole thing in as a zebra, zebra striped. And we went through a lot of iterations on how,
2: like a plastic wrap, stuck to the wraps car. are hot. Yeah, like yeah. you know, you, you see, see the some, cars yeah. on the
0: street, the advertising, or their their yeah. buses. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that that's where I got a lot of that inspiration was. It's it's actually not that expensive. I mean, it's a, a couple thousand dollars, but. Painting the car seemed...
2: But the look on their little faces is worth it. No, no, yeah. That
0: was exactly... it. Um, So yeah. we wrap it, we put it in the garage, we put a couple job cams up around, and then we wait for them to come home. And it was nerve-wracking because we didn't know exactly when they were going to be home, but we wanted to be able to see the reaction. Capture it, yeah. Eventually they got home. My father just opened the garage, saw his zebra car, and just shut the garage. It was just like it's like, <laughs> maybe... Maybe if I open it again, it'll be different. Um, <laughs> he got in, and my brother made one flaw, which is he left the dropcam cam boxes on the kitchen table. So my dad immediately knew there were cameras, and then he called me and just said, "Revenge is a bitch." Then he hung up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> your, dad, your dad's been watching action movies. <laughs> well, well, it's funny <laughs> because because I think actually they really like it. I think they I think they kind of look forward to it because. It's fun, and it's funny. and Wait, they peeled it off, though. Well, they kept it for about two years until they hit a deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they drove around the Sportflex for two years as a zebra. And my, my dad would get really angry. We'd be driving, and he would just be like, why is everyone looking at me? He would be like, yeah. you're in a zebra car. Okay, so... Wait, see,
1: wait, so... now that's fine. For that's, those that don't know Harper, the like the, the the narrative should go to, you know, Harper keeps borrowing money from his parents because he's going to make documentaries. Yeah. But that's not what happened, he's is
2: actually, it, Harper? He's actually a very serious technology <laughs> leader. Well,
0: I was just going to say, Harper, there's, there's websites for all of them.
2: On that note, uh what was your first computer? How'd you get into this business?
0: Uh, my first computer was an Apple IIc. I okay. had I'd taken... A kind of college for kids type of Apple programming logo, of course. And then Mm -hmm. my aunt, who is only seven years older than I am, went to summer camp for Apple computers at the local college. And I kind of looked over her shoulder. And then one thing led to another. And somehow my father got two Apple IICs. And my brother and I set them both up.
2: That's so cool. Okay, so did you stay sort of like a technology person or did you like start a band?
0: What was your... well? I started a band with the technology kids. Perfect, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't have a choice. Like Computers just drew me in. And oftentimes I find there's a tension here. You know, those of us who grew up during this age where you have an Apple II and you use computers your whole life, I think there's many of us where we just didn't have a choice. This is just what was going to happen. We were going to use computers and we were going to do technology. When we talk to young people today, they just don't have – we can't identify with them. It's an incommensurable experience. Where when it's not I- just that
2: we also came of age during the most radical capital expansion in the history of the universe, right? So it's sort of like wherever you went, if you had this raw set of skills, there was kind of something for you to do that would be useful and interesting and could probably make you money.
0: Right. And I worry, I worry that the kind of the trope of let's teach kids the code. I think it's good because it's good for people to have like general skills and logic, et cetera. But the idea that this is going to give them the same kind of experiences in capitalism that many of us had, I don't think is true. And I worry that we're we're setting up a path to factory worker.
1: There'll be some new color like gray collar, or yeah, I think the distinction here is that you you could go places you weren't supposed to go on those old computers. You it wasn't like Minecraft, God bless it, but it was you're in that world and it's pretty, you know, it's shrink wrapped and you're going to be inside that box. Whereas I, you know, when I I first opened up a hex editor, I didn't understand wait a minute, I can go to the hex code of my game, I didn't know why I wanted to be in there and I wanted to screw around and that sort of open-endedness, I think, you know, breeds creativity. That's and, pretty, and that's
2: levels down too. There's also like Photoshop taught you how yeah. color and photography and light work. And and like there, you you would pirate these wonderful tools and then you'd see how adults lived in the world and did things by playing with the software.
1: I, I got obsessed with the 4K demos in the beginning of the pirated games. Right. I, I, I loved what they were doing with such little information. It was so cool.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Fast forward one day, Harper, who was somebody who was kind of extremely online, who we all knew, was running tech for the Obama campaign.
0: It was a surprise to us all, to be honest. Okay. How did that happen? So I was at Threadless and I decided I was done. And you know that feeling when you're, I I described it then as it was, you're at a dinner and you're just full. That's kind of my feeling about Threadless. I was like, I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish. The problems that they have aren't interesting, like, et cetera, et cetera. So I just kind of pieced out. And then I, I I just went to coffee shops and hung out and kind of screwed around Chicago for a while. And in retrospect, what I had done is I had made myself incredibly open to new ideas and new opportunities. And so one of them was a friend of mine who happened to be a Republican, said, Harper, you should talk to this guy, Michael Slaby, who's CTO for Obama's 2008 campaign, and he's looking to uh, build up a team you might be able to help out. And what I'd done is I... Just met up with Slavi at a coffee shop. We just chatted a bit, and I was like, "Hey, I have a team because I kind of had been collecting these people because I knew I wanted to do something and I want to do something big, and I didn't know what." So I had a team of designers and programmers and user experience people that were just kind of waiting in the wings. And he's like, "Great, we definitely need all those folks, and we also we also need a CTO type person." And I was like, "I have I have great. I have some of those too." And so I recommended a few friends that I thought would be great CTO type people, and introduced them. And then I kind of stepped off and just was like, okay, cool. I'll continue doing what I'm doing. But then one thing led to another and I um, and was like, yo, you got to talk to this guy, Jim Messina, who's a campaign manager. And Jim Messina is a pretty, he's an imposing figure. He's just kind of insane. He seems like a TV character really. Um, and so I'm talking to Jim Messina and he gets a phone call and he's like, just a second. He answers the phone call. He's like, hey, I got to call you back. I'm in. I'm currently in an interview with a CTO candidate. And I'm just like looking around my shoulder, trying to find where the CTO candidate is. Because I had no idea at this point that I had been interviewing for CTO for probably like a month and a half. I just didn't know. It's like my confidence wouldn't let me know that. And then I talked to my friends afterwards and they're like, yeah, dude, what's, what's wrong with you? Of course you were interviewing for CTO. And I just didn't know. Like I really didn't know. I never previously <laughs> said that. But at that point, once that happened, then it became real serious. It was like I find that there's a bunch of points in my life where if it was filmed, it would be that point where they zoom the camera in and pull it back at the same point or whatever, like in a horror movie. You know, where it's like, oh, no, I'm going to get a job. (laughs) And so then I've been saying no to so many opportunities. And so then the thing was, I don't think I'm good at this. If they give me this job, I have to say no. And then they ended up giving me the job. They said, we want you to be CTO. And I was just like, I don't know. And my dad was like, you're going to be the CTO. I've signed the papers already. Like my Hiromi, my partner and my father were like, what's wrong with you? Of course you're going to do this job. And I just didn't have the confidence. I truly, this was a true confidence issue. I just didn't have it. And one of the reasons why is, I kind of knew the job was going to be different than Threadless. But at Threadless, they had said about a year before I left, they were like, Harper, I don't think you're doing a good job as a CTO. We need, and then they gave a catalog of things that they needed that I was not providing. And I said, well, I thought a CTO would do this. And I gave a catalog of all the things that I was doing very well. I've later seen that both are right. I was just a different type of CTO than they needed. And the campaign was 100% of the things that I wasn't doing at Threadless. Like It was really funny, actually, because I was like, I'm never going to do Excel modeling. I'm never going to do budgets. That stuff's stupid. I want to program computers. Then at the campaign, it was like, I never programmed computers once. You know, I couldn't. I w- they wouldn't let me because I'd screw it up. But more importantly, I was doing all this modeling. I, most of my time was in email and Excel during meetings, doing kind of what amount to board meetings. It was actually an incredible experience. But the beginning was a little bit Dick Cheney-like in that I didn't really know I was being considered until suddenly I was the CTO. <laughs> Did it help that you knew it was going to end? Absolutely. In retrospect, I don't think it actually matters. I think maybe emotionally there was something there, but you jump so far into that type of thing that you cannot get out. Like it doesn't matter if it's two weeks or 18 months. It's just, you're so deep. It could You could be there for four years and never know.
1: I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I got to ask this question. Obviously over the last 10 years, technology has rendered itself integral to politics and campaigns. Give me your perspective on
0: this now that we're looking back well, it's actually, I think it's actually pretty straightforward. You just look at the, the years, the presidential election years, and you think what technology was popular then. If you look at when social software happened, that's when it starts to get interesting. So 2004, social software was then, right? There was a lot of stuff happening. But for the most part, it was really, um, you know, Flickr, et cetera. It wasn't meetup. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of communication socially. It was still private kind of little groups and networks, For instance, IRC was a still relevant thing for tech people to hang out on. But 2008 is when things started to change. Facebook was there. You could use that for organizing in some ways. Facebook pages were kind of created because of Barack Obama's Facebook account had too many people. Android had just launched. The iPhone had had, apps had just launched. Twitter had been around, but was kind of still for just hippies. You just had like all these things that were so nascent. And then four years later in 2012, everyone was using these things. You know, my parents were using these things. They had matured to a point where they were normal. And so I I think the narrative is just, it trails four years behind regular technology, maybe two years. But there's a couple other things that happened that I think is really weird. In 2012, when we were building all the stuff we were building, we were looking, we were scouring the earth, looking for cool ways to connect technology to organizers, et cetera. That kind of vibe and we looked everywhere. I remember thinking, like, here's a catalog of the things that we have found from ad agencies, from cool brands, from like, you know, influencers to startups to whatever things that we that are influencing us. And then we build things based on this. And when we came out of that, we were like, we like, I remember talking to an ad agency, and they're like, how did you think of all this stuff? And I was like, well, actually, we just looked at ad agencies. And they're like, yeah, but no ad agency does this stuff. And so I don't know how this happened. How we looked and we thought we were reflecting back things that other people were doing and then it turns out that we were inventing because we all thought we weren't inventing we purposefully said we're not inventing we're trying to win this is not about innovation this is trying to win you don't win through innovation you win through consistent experiences and you know in very very solid experiences but you know in retrospect we, we're innovating, and I think that kind of happens in every one of these campaigns where they say, no, 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 we're just trying to win. We're going to use only this thing because we don't have any money or what have you, and then that itself is an innovation, and that's where it deviates and seems innovative. I'm sure if you look at Brad Pascali or however you say his name and the Trump stuff that the work they did on ads on on landing pages and all that stuff just was kind of th- – they just needed to do it because they, they didn't have any other tool set. In the same way that social software and community software was my tool set, this was Brad's tool set. And so that's what they did. Now that seems like it's it's part of a playbook. But I don't think it started out as saying this is part of a playbook. You know, I think it's just kind of by any means necessary. I found a hammer on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. the thing is is Every person that runs technology finds a different hammer. So Steph from the Hillary campaign had a different hammer, than I had a different hammer, than Slavey had a different hammer. Joe Rosebars had a different hammer in 2004. Like, it's like all those kind of things that you have different hammers. And I, I had a very strange, strange, strange conversation with Karl Rove once, which is a weird thing to even say. Where he was describing his hammer at, at, is direct mail.
2: He had a direct mail company at one point.
0: Right. And they he talked yeah. about how they used analytics in the same way that we used analytics, the same way that 2016 used analytics to target people but with direct mail. And so it's it's your hammer analogy is perfect. It really is whatever hammer you have is the one you're going to use. And if you win, then suddenly that's how you do it. And I think that's the silly part is how oftentimes the playbook is written by the winner. And I think David Axelrod has a really good kind of statement as this, which is you're never as dumb as they say you are when you lose and you're never as smart as they say you are when you win.
1: Right. You feel like these amazing tools, which, you know, I feel like four years ago, five years ago, three years ago, were viewed in a very optimistic light as empowering and 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 just really a positive pivot in the world of politics is gone to a dark place or a a place where, you know, all sorts of ethical questions get raised and the like.
0: Yeah, and I think it's nefarious is the wrong word, but I don't know better. I think it's a little more screwed up than that because in uh, 2012, we did a lot of the same stuff that Trump's team did with Facebook. You know, we made cool Facebook ads for targeting people and we used all this neat stuff and we used all this technology and we used all their targeting stuff. But since we won and largely tech people are progressives, everyone was like, this is great. Harper, you're a genius. Your team is amazing. But then as soon as you lose, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing in the world. And it really struck me that. Although we didn't do the same thing that, that the Trump team did, like because there's four years difference and we all know how technology changes, we definitely set the foundations. Sure. And if we look at some of the complaints we have right now about the 2016 election, you know, outside of Russia and all that nonsense, outside of Trump being a Nazi and all that stuff, but more the specific parts of like how technology was used to trick people online. You know, I think we have to address all sides of this. Because it really is, the thing that bothers me the most is that we are very against it if we're tricked, if we feel tricked. And by tricked, I mean if we lose. But we're very for it if we win. Now, I think that's fine as humans. But if we're trying to make a regulation or something, we should just be thoughtful about what that actually means and what that means about how we're going to impact things. So 2020 is something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're all fucked. I know we're not trying to say that word, but I think it, 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 it's, it's important right now.
2: Hey, Rich, let me interrupt this podcast and ask you, if you needed to get a big scalable web platform with applications built on top of it, who would you call? I would call Postlight. I would too. And I don't just say that as the CEO of Postlight,
1: And I don't just say it as the president. I say that
2: because, (laughs) you know, just as we sit here and talk about this on the podcast every single week, that's what people do here. Like we care and think about software all the time.
1: It's a great group, designers, engineers, product leads working together by the way. There's no throwing it over the wall. It's a, it's a collaborative process and we, we're designed and we're, we're tuned to ship.
2: Collaborative with our clients too. A lot of Slack channels. Like right now I could turn my head around and there's like 10 Slack channels open yep. where people are talking directly with the clients all yep. day, getting this thing right.
1: And clients are saying things like, wow. Yeah, they are. They <laughs> Sometimes
2: Sometimes we send the animated GIF. And then sometimes the, you know you've succeeded when the client sends an animated GIF back. Yes,
1: it's a wonderful thing. So if
2: you want to send us an animated GIF expressing your happiness with how, how hard we've worked for you, you can just send an email to hello at postlight.com. Let's get back to the podcast. Let's fast forward, right? Because after, the, after all the politics are done, you decided to do something relaxing, which is do a startup <laughs> focused on was, e-commerce. That was such a mistake.
0: I, I, what I, I were find, you doing? I find that I'm really good at being like, like right now, I'm not really doing anything. I'm taking a break. I'm trying to figure out what's next, giving myself space to, to figure out what the future holds. And right after the campaign, we jumped right in. And I, I know why, but we jumped right in. And there was like a couple like weeks where we didn't really know what was going on, but we jumped right in. What was this called? What was this thing? So we, I have a friend who's a domainer and she's wonderful. And, um, pinged her and I was like, Hey, you know, we are looking for a new name brand for our company. You know, what do you got? She sent me this list of domains. That was incredible. And modest.com was there. And so we bought modest.com and, uh, then we went to Fuzzco, a cool branding agency. And we said, Hey, can you, help us brand this. And then they helped us brand it. And it turned out to be, it worked really well. How much did modest cost?
2: Do you remember? Uh,
0: probably about 40 K. That's actually, I mean, for a name like that, that's great. Cheap. We, and the reason we named it modest, the reason why it fits so well is because from the very beginning, we talked about how to make a big impact in e-commerce. You didn't have to do a lot of work. You just have to do really good work. And so we'd say, we're just trying to make some modest changes. Um, which is kind of silly and funny. And then the logo is just a gradual slope. And so that was this idea of like, we just want to make things better by making some small changes to e-commerce. We're not trying to do this like a bunch of crazy stuff. Um, Wait, what was it? What was it? People need to know. Yeah, so uh, Modest was a platform for mobile commerce. It was mobile only. So conversion rates were pretty good on it. It had all the experiences you you would normally have in an e-commerce experience. So the idea was we would go to a boutique, we would go to, you know, someone who's selling online and they would use our platform to power their mobile side, mobile web, apps. And then we also had some really fun stuff like, you know, direct from email conversions, all sorts of kind of fun things where you'd click on a link and you just you just it just say you're you're done, you've checked out. Because we were we were like we thought there's this funny thing, and Dylan, my co-founder, Dylan Richard, he always talked about how, how silly it was or how defensive technology and e-commerce is. Specifically, every time you go to check out, it's always like, are you sure you want to? It's like someone is, is trying to stop you from checking out. That's basically what e-commerce is on the internet. They're just like, you don't want to do this. You, you, know, you put something in your cart, and they're like, are you sure you want to do that? You, you go to like, I want to buy this. And they're like, are you sure? Why don't you enter your address four times to prove that you want to buy this? Um, and that was basically the interface. And you see this still today. I mean, I think Shopify is probably the best right now. And even Shopify, there's a lot of steps that I do over and over again. And it's like, you know who I am, Shopify. Why don't you just make this easy?
2: You, I don't know built this, you built this nice company. And then one day, some of the friendly young people from PayPal came by. <laughs>
0: We were at this point with the company where we were either going to have to change a little bit how we were running things, meaning we we're aggressively a product team and we need to move towards being more of a sales team and we need to raise money. And like a lot of other just market forces were, were on us. And we'd been very close with Bill Reddy, who had run Braintree. And then when Braintree was acquired by PayPal, was at PayPal. And him and I were just talking and he was like, well, you know, we're actually thinking about building something like this. And I was like, and i had been complaining about sales. And he's also like, well, you know, also we have a big sales team. And so this, it was this funny thing where, first of all, I never thought that we would sell the company. Like, I don't say that in this kind of silly, like, oh, I'm not here to sell the company. I was there to sell the company. I wanted to make a lot of money, but I, I didn't, I didn't think it would happen. Because we, when you're inside of a company, it's hard to see the shine, because you only right, see the patches. Right. You only see the, the places that are screwed up. It's hard to see the shine. And it was this kind of nice thing of like, whoa, this actually, there actually is a space for us in a company that is kind of doing similar things, that has an interesting need of this specific thing. And then this kind of led to an acquisition. And it was, it was a wild, that was a wild thing to do. I, I loved it, selling the company. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, really? Oof.
1: God bless. Cause usually it starts to, it goes to the bankers and the lawyers and it's like, well, what about uh, what about that
0: chair? So I loved and that. That right did there, you really? I loved it. It was so much it was so interesting to see what like there is this point where we are talking and um, there's a lawyer talking about IP stuff and um, they're really pinning us on this one file. They're like, where'd this come from? After this IP It's amazing, isn't it? And like, just digging in. And it was just like, this came from eBay. Like, y'all wrote this. This is your file. What's wrong with you? (laughs) You know? You know, so it was like, it was like things like that. It was just, I just thought it was fun because it's a little bit like high school debate, you know, where you're, it's gotchas, gotchas. But at the same time, there's so much at stake. The pressure is really high. And I love that feeling. I love the feeling of like, if we don't get this, we got to go yeah. home and I don't want to go home. Part of
1: the 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 sort of process can be part of it could be grinding you down. Oh yeah. So that they're continuing to chip away and you're just out of exhaustion you're like how do we get this just please just end this. You know, my business was sold a few years ago and one of the things I told the president of the company that acquired the business was I just need to be able to call you. Yeah. Like there's all this nuttiness and I just want to be able to call you when it just gets so crazy so you can stop it. Yep. and then we can keep going. Yeah. If I didn't have that, I would have just been in rooms with just reams of paper, and I think and that's, that was terrifying.
0: I think that's actually a really important, important point for anyone who's thinking about selling a company or in the process of. You have to have a champion. Absolutely. So when things get a little gnarly, you can just be like, "Look, why are we doing this?" And they'll they can step in and say, "Look, this may not matter." Yeah. Yeah. I love the strife, though. I, I have to admit that I love the interesting. Um, some of my favorite memories. going back in. Well, I know it's terrible, but one of my favorite, some of my favorite memories on the campaign is when everything was just totally bonkers. Like during a debate, like we raised the most money during a debate, crazy things happened during the debate. Like one of my co leaders of the campaign threw a chair once during a debate, you know, and it's just because he was so frustrated, he couldn't figure it out. And I just love that strife. But I also love it's like, everything has failed. All your database servers are gone. And I'm just like, well, it's just like, there's a clarity, like all the noise disappears. The people who can't hang, leave. Which is fine. I think there's just different roles. <laughs> like two or three of us stand up and we're like, well, I guess we got to fix this. It's just, you know, when you're talking about hammers before, I think one of my hammers is is when everything is screwed, I can probably help. It's my hammer.
1: Good hammer. I like that hammer. It's like it's like you open a first aid kit box and there's it's, a hammer. It's in just it. Harper. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. yeah, I'm just <laughs> Harper's, like, Harper's yeah, I've face. Lost, I've lost five
2: <laughs> fingers and you pry it open
0: and it's just Harper. Like, hey,
2: <laughs> all right. So you got a hammer. What what are you gonna do next?
0: So I, I left PayPal. I was at PayPal for a couple of years and it was really interesting and I really enjoyed I, what I liked about PayPal. It's a global company and they do a lot of things internationally and I really think. Um, I think we're at a big change right now where US dominance is going down and we're starting to see other players pop up. And some of the other players are just incredibly fascinating. I mean, I there's so many other places that I got to see through the eyes of PayPal and then and then separately through the eyes of independent eyes of myself, you know, Southeast Asia, Indonesia for instance. Just incredible commerce things happening there. And love I love that. I just love seeing that. And so when I left PayPal I think things were more confusing than they were clear. Whereas when I left the campaign, it was clear. We're going to start a company. What is it? Nobody knows, but we got funding. Here, it's like, I have no idea. I'm so confused. It's so, there's so many things out there that are interesting. And I also keep saying to myself that I don't want to do commerce because I've done it so much. But I don't know if I, can, if I have the choice in the matter. It was just kind of se- things seem to just happen. Everybody always wants to do
2: something different than the thing that they're truly good at. Right, right, right. I mean, just, right. You, you know. have the opportunity to. That's amazing. No, but, right? but how many musicians want to do stand-up?
0: You know? Us- Usain Bolt. Isn't Usain Bolt a football player now, soccer player? Yeah. But I-, I don't know. It's, this is actually really um, – what is next is really hard for me right now. And I think there's two reasons for it. One, I'm antsy. When I look at my past, when I've taken breaks, and I've done this, – this is my third time I've done this, taking a little pause in my career. The first one was a summer The second one was about 18 months. And this one has been about seven months so far. That's a long time. What are you you doing? I actually rolled back a few steps. And I'm trying not to do a lot of tech things. Because my whole life is tech. Everything I do is tech. My house is a computer. Like everything is tech. And so when I look at drones, I'm just like, eh. But like analog photography is very interesting and it's hard. It's really, really, really hard and I'm not good at it. And I love that feeling. Like I, I, I wish there was a word for, you know, mouthfeel around words or how something mm-hmm. tastes. I wish there was a feeling for the vibe in your head when you're doing something. Like this. the word for that. like Because I could just say when I'm doing analog photography, I feel like this is what's happening in my head. It's like a mix of confusion and excitement and anger when it doesn't work, but also hope that it's going to work all at the same time. And I just lo- love it. There's also this like this idea that I can fix a few things because technology has changed since the 1970s. And so that's that was my goal is to fix a few things. And then the other thing that I'm doing is I'm doing a lot of speaking still on the speaking circuit. But also if someone says, Harper, here's a good conference. You should go. You might meet some good people. I'll I'll go every time. I really enjoy meeting people. And I, I, I always think about kind of the, the idea that you never know what's going to happen. Like if I didn't, if I just didn't follow up with my friend, Jason's introduction to Michael Slavy, I would never have done the Obama thing. You know, if I didn't go honestly clubbing in the early two thousands, I never would have met the threatless guys, like all these things that are very optional. And so how do you increase the options? I always think it's, I've been thinking about this, I think it's really stupid to say, but I'll say it anyway, which is like, everyone talks about how they have great ideas in the shower, but no one's out there just taking showers all the time. And so it's like, uh, what do you do to create this opportunity to find weird shit, to, to, to find what's next? And because there hasn't necessarily been straight continuity between my career segments, it's a little harder. Sure, Because I don't you know, know what's next. Well, He's, also, I, I, you, you're not going to take a job. There's a lot of, like, if the team was good, if they're a very, very good team, building a product was really like, it would be hard to say no, but I probably would Okay. That's, that's a big deal. You, okay. know,
2: you know, Alan Kay at Xerox Park, Yeah, he used to, he used to joke because he asked them this. They had $20,000 Dorado and Alto machines on everybody's desk. And he was like, look, you're paying me to think. Spend a $1,000 and get me a shower. Right, right. <laughs> And they wouldn't do it.
0: They wouldn't do it. We'll get you a nice, we'll get you another (laughs) altar. I just think it's really funny because you, 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 I think about all these times when I have had inspiration and and how do I increase those times? And it's not, it's not sitting in an office for sure. I was talking to a friend the other day. He was, he was talking about his time that was similar to what I'm going through right now. And he said, when I got an office, everything changed. He said he just got the cheapest office he could find, put a couch in there, a huge whiteboard, a big stereo and a desk. And and then it was this idea of like he would go and have a context switch to figuring out what's next instead of me sitting in my basement looking at my record collection or my Nintendo Switch or like my solid gold couch or whatever it is. That I mean,
1: you may want to try this out. I mean, it might expand the possibilities of what you're thinking about here.
0: I'm a little I'm a little concerned a little bit. I had a I had an executive coach that Media Lab gave me for a while and and he was really funny because his name was Gunther Weil and he's really great. It was a, a wonderful experience. And um, he actually made me think up a mission, like what is Harper's mission statement? And he pushed me really to define this, which I thought was such an, I, I, I love That's that. Very cool. I love that, I always love, like I, I think people should have strong brands, I think people, like individuals should have like board of advisors, I think all that stuff. So having a mission statement was great. But the other thing he kept saying, he's like, have you thought about ACID? And I was like, whoa. It's me. I told, I told my partner, me and she's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Not enough. She's, like,
2: she's like, I have enough to deal with. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Harper, okay. Yeah. Many thousands of people are listening to you talk right now. Hopefully, hopefully they're not just downloading and subscribing, but actually listening. And uh, you've just increased your optionality in the universe quite a bit. What do you want to hear from people? Like, who should get in touch? How do they reach you? What should happen now?
0: Well, it's very easy to reach me. Um, My email address is on my website, harperread.com, or just hit me up via Twitter. I find one of the most valuable things that you can do when you're in a place like I'm in is um, just help people out. Like if someone has a tricky problem, if someone is looking for, you know, I don't necessarily think advice is helpful, but if someone wants to hear kind of my story from the frame of reference of their problem, then um, You know, I, I would love to chat about startups or about commerce or or selling your company or or what have you. But also, if you're in Chicago, we should just hang out or really anywhere. I'd also love to hear good pranks. My brother and I need a new prank. I can tell you some of our, our, our drafts if you want. But yeah, we need a new prank. All right. That is a perfect invitation to the world. Yeah, they're coming. And one thing to keep in mind is that billboards are pretty cheap in smaller towns.
2: Thank you. Harper Reed, thank you for coming on Track Changes. This was great. Oh, good. I hope it was helpful. Hey, Rich. I hate talking to people who are more interesting than me. It's got a lot going on. There's but nonetheless, on. we do a lot too. We get a lot done. What do we do, Paul? We build platforms. We build <laughs> apps on top of them. And, you know, if you were uh, if you wanted to build something like the five or six hundred thousand things that Harper's built in his career, <laughs> you might come to a company like Like We'll help you get it done. Anyway, it's, it's good to talk to an old friend, and if you need to talk to us, um, you can tell us about your pranks, too. Hello at PostLight.com. Have a great week. Bye.